This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Kirsten, or our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR, part of a private equity Montague's portfolio of standalone companies. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello there. This is Cameron Brandt, Director of Research at EPFR, with our weekly podcast where we update you on some of the trends uh, and changes that we're seeing in our weekly flows and allocations data. My usual collaborator, Kristen Longbottom, is off soaking up the Mexican sun this weekend, uh, but I am joined by one of our rising quant stars from London, Azalea Makatis. Uh, Azalea, thank you for joining us. Did you have to navigate any picket lines to make it in today? Fortunately not. Um, I'm uh, actually working from home, so no no strikes for me uh, today or this weekend. So um, yeah, thanks for having me, Cam. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So uh, a week that was definitely a bit different from the uh, somewhat uh, optimistic pattern of flows that we saw uh, for much of January. It certainly seemed as if uh, investors were finding it a little harder to uh, maintain their rosy views of where U.S. interest rates are heading uh, and the Chinese economy is going to bounce to uh, as the U.S. and China snapped and snarled over a Pick your, uh, pick your choice of spy balloon or stray weather uh, balloon getting shot down off the Carolinas um, in, certainly injected uh, a reminder to investors that uh, despite some, some less aggressive remarks in recent weeks, uh, the U.S. and China are not on the same page in many areas, and that will have uh, economic implications. Among the other fund groups that uh, took a bit of a hit this week were uh, U.S. equity funds uh, and Japanese equity funds, and we also saw uh, Europe equity funds' recent run of inflows come to a halt um, not that surprising given the uh, ECB's recent 50 basis point hike and their assertion that another one is coming in March uh, and the slow, painful gains, but gains nevertheless that uh, Russia's latest offensive in the Donbass part of Ukraine uh, is, uh, is achieving. I was, uh, again, somewhat interested in uh, the Japan flows. Um, there is obviously a growing sense that uh, a uh, monetary policy framework that's been in place since 2013-2014, uh, uh, an ultra-accommodative one, uh, is uh, not going to survive in its current form uh, much beyond the second quarter of this year. Uh, and that uh, tighter monetary policy uh, is very likely in the second half of 2023. You know, that obviously has some implications for the Japanese yen. And Azalea, I know you've been sort of doing some quant research and modeling in that area. What have you been seeing? Yeah, so... Um I guess, I mean, on, on, on the Japan side, before we launch into anything kind of 
too too uh, too complex. I mean, um, definitely, as you've mentioned, the the outflows from both. Uh, Japan equity and Japan bond funds is something that we've seen in our data um, this year. Um, also, uh, one piece that we, we published relatively recently um, looked at specifically the flows um, coming out of um, Japanese bond funds focusing on long, long-term government bonds. Um, and really, that has been a space where there's been a lot of uh, long-term outflow, um, especially when bond yields in Japan uh, rose above 50 basis points in December. So in addition to, to the kind of flows data that, that we can see, um, what our team also does is uh, we've built a number of kind of signals or data that, that can look at um, different aspects to what's going on um, in different countries and also um, directly what's happening to to the yen, which obviously did take quite the toll um, after all of kind of the different things that have been happening in Japan recently. Um, so one signal that, that we look at and we work with quite often is our, um, our kind of a daily um, FX flow signal. So it looks at the flow into different currencies based on... Um, flows that are going into, at this time, cross-border funds, um, and specifically those with an equity mandate. And actually, interestingly, interestingly, what we've seen here is um, um, this signal towards the Japanese yen has produced inflows year-to-date, so so the opposite to what we've actually seen um, within the the, the Japan-focused equity funds uh, space. Um, And in fact, the kind of Last month or so of 2022, we actually saw outflow. So it seems like there's been some sort of reversal, um, at least over the last couple of months. Is it your sense that uh, certainly fund managers are starting to position themselves for a stronger yen? If we're looking at it from from this perspective, uh, possibly, yes. So I guess this kind of ties back into to what you were saying previously about a possible reversal or change in the monetary policy late, uh, later this year. And what we have also seen, again, just to tie into what I've, I've mentioned about our, our daily flows into the yen, um, another um, signal that we've calculated this time from our um, FX allocation data, um, which looks at the positions of equity and bond funds towards currencies such as the yen, um, is that here, um, this time looking instead at the active versus passive managers' relative allocations towards um, a currency, um, again, this time the yen, um, is that throughout um, last year, about 20% of active managers relative to their passive kind of cousins or, or benchmarks, we could call them, were overweight the currency. And actually towards the end of this year, this increased quite sharply. So again, they're, they're increasing um, their allocations towards that, that, that currency, towards the yen. So it went up from about twenty percent to to about thirty five. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty significant jump. So, in a, you know, in addition uh, to Japan and the yen, uh, there's China and the renminbi. Um, we saw both China equity and bond funds uh, post uh, solid outflows this past week, which is certainly not the pa- you know, certainly on the equity side not the pattern we've been seeing recently. Uh, as I said when we kicked off this podcast, um, the reminder that uh, you know U.S. Sino tensions uh, haven't gone away. Uh, I think definitely served as a bit of a reality check for investors 
And while, you know, I'm certainly comfortable with the proposition that there's going to be uh, a notable pickup in uh, Chinese economic activity in the second half of the year, um, it's an, a market that still has, you know, some fairly major headwinds to sort out. Uh, the property sector is, is still under pressure. Um, you know, the aftershocks from COVID escaping the containment of the zero COVID policies uh, are likely to ripple through uh, and keep uh, Chinese consumers uh, a little less ebullient than maybe some people uh, are penciling in. Uh, one thing I was interested in this week, too, is that um, – even though there's you know considerable uncertainty surrounding um, the monetary policy picture and whether um, it's going to have to uh, go further to contain inflation uh, and and by doing that increase the risks of a sharp uh, recession. Uh, it wasn't a risk off week in the sense that uh, high yield bond funds, uh, emerging markets bond funds, uh, alternative. Uh, funds all managed to take in some fresh money uh, during the week. And uh, frontier markets equity funds, which are geared to the most risky segment uh, of the uh, emerging markets universe, also took in some fresh cash. The uh, redemptions from U.S. equity funds uh, were notable uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, they were the fourth out of the six w- weeks uh, year to date um, uh, and come when the US, key U.S. indexes aren't doing so badly. Uh, the latest week also saw um, uh, a sharp jump again in uh, the uh, redemptions from U.S. equity retail share classes. Um, you know, historically, and especially on the institutional side, retail flows have been viewed something as something of a contrarian indicator. But Azalea, you've done a little bit of uh, digging into um, what retail flow means. Uh, I think you have a slightly different perspective. Yeah, that's right. I mean, at least from, I guess, more of a systematic um, view, um, as you mentioned, um, the general consensus, or yeah, is that um, retail flows are generally considered to be more of a kind of dumb money indicator. Um, but the work that we've done, which um, ties in with kind of again building building signals um, from our data and kind of back testing that, um, but here using. Um, only the flows into retail share classes, whether that's building a signal from a a country perspective, uh, an equity regional perspective, um, a sectoral perspective, and also uh, in a multi-asset setting. Uh, What we did find is that um, the results that we got from these back tests, especially compared with some of the um, oldest strategies that we've uh, kind of created and used traditionally, um, the results have actually improved. Um, especially uh, what we've seen um, is is that in the late last few years, maybe from 2013 onwards, um, if we look at uh, country rotation, for example, within Acqui, um, using explicitly only retail uh, share class flows has, has produced much better sharp ratios and much better annual returns. Um, so that was quite interesting to see, especially given you know the general thoughts about this this type of investor. 
the one thing that we had tested that we found that um, retail share class flows did not work as well as our, our, our kind of traditional proof of concept strategies was in FX markets, interestingly. That is interesting. So perhaps I was a little quick to dump all those meme stocks. <laughs> uh, well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll wind up our conversation today by you know quickly running through uh, the sector fund flows because uh, we saw quite a bit of conviction in that uh, that area over the first week of February. I have to say a lot of the conviction was of the negative sort as investors digested what's been a pretty mixed earnings season with uh, even the better earnings reports often being accompanied by guidance that's a lot less bullish than the the numbers might suggest. Um, But we are seeing uh, a rebound in interest into financial sector funds uh, the latest week's uh, Flows were the highest uh, in 24 weeks, uh, and uh, their latest inflow run is the longest since the third quarter of last year. And uh, flows into technology sector uh, funds also have bounced back in the latest week. Um, uh, It seems that uh, investors are, are actually encouraged by the somewhat painful job culls going on uh, in, the, in the U.S. sector uh, and intrigued by what uh, the, uh, all the talk about the chat GBT applications might mean for uh, the profitability and, and uh, value of some of the big names. You know, with that, I think I'll sign off. Thank you, Azalea, for accompanying me on this week's journey. Um, And I look forward to having you back with us again on a future date. With pleasure. Thank you, Cam. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.buzzsprout.com or email us directly at epfrexchangepodcast at informa.com.